Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi, it's Joe Erickson, host of Systemic. A quick note just before we start. This episode contains content and language that might not be suitable for everyone. Listeners' discretion is advised. There's a quote I saw online, and it says the price one pays for pursuing any profession or calling is an intimate knowledge of its ugly side. There was a time in Ray Brown's life when the idea of putting on a police uniform and a badge was just a dream. Now, four months on the job, her eyes are wide open. It's really difficult to be, like, in this position. You know, as a member of law enforcement, I'm aware of the origins of my institution and the pain associated with it for communities, right? I'm also Black, so of course I know the effects of it. I have experienced that when I'm not in that uniform. And if you're not doing what you took an oath to do, then people shouldn't respect you. I mean, like, sometimes I wish that people wouldn't wouldn't put us on the pedestal. Like, if I do something wrong, then I have to be held accountable for that. I can't do something wrong. And then people say, oh, well, you're a cop, so I guess it's okay. That's that's not a safe standard to practice. It's been a turbulent year for police. Officer Derek Chavin's knee on George Floyd's neck told an old story of America's legacy of race and police. That moment represents a defining point in law enforcement. Does it stay on the same path or can policing be reimagined? Do we defund and start over or can change come from within? I'm Joe Erickson, a producer with Colorado Public Radio. I came to Colorado this past summer from Minneapolis where I covered several police shootings. But after George Floyd's death in May 2020, something felt different. And his death now is used as a catalyst for radical changes to police culture. Last year, I decided I wanted to tell the story of the people taking matters into their own hands and pushing law enforcement to change. You are just not... A regular cop. Oh, no, I ain't regular. By no means am I regular. You got that right. <laughs> so I asked black officers and activists to record their part in history. So I know it's been like a week. Not a long, strenuous uh, week this week. Though their methods and ideas are different, they share a common goal. To change the system and to stop black people dying at the hands of police. Through audio diaries and interviews, you'll hear the hurt, the pain, and the sheer determination of a group of people who can no longer stay silent. The stories are raw and emotional. One of the officers took a picture of our officer, and they were kind of spreading it around, like making comments about him. Oh, you're black, you're not blue. These are their stories, 
their voices. Those police officers, I, I guarantee you, they have families. They go home to their families, and Devon didn't go home that night. Devon didn't even take another breath that night, all because of them. This is how it has to be for our voices to be heard. This is Systemic, a series that tells the stories of those who fight injustice as they attempt to dismantle the status quo. This season, we're focusing on police reform. Part one, black and blue. We begin by following two black police officers, one a 10-year veteran from Colorado Springs. This is not my first day being black. I've been black. The other a first-year rookie from the suburbs of Minneapolis and St. Paul. All right, so I'm just getting off shift. I'm just hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Both have been impacted by the events of the last year, and we follow them as they resist the pressure to conform to police culture. It's September 2020. The 29-year-old police rookie, Ray Brown, has recently started as a patrol officer with Maplewood Police Department, a suburb of Minneapolis-St. Paul. This is not far from where Philando Castile was pulled over in 2016 for a busted taillight and fatally shot by police from a nearby suburb. You know, following the death of Philando Castile, I think that's really what set me over with wanting to be a police officer. Ray saw herself as a person who could stop incidents like these from escalating. As a police officer, she believed she could make a difference and save a life. So it was nice to just kind of be a part of something bigger. I work as a family medical leave coordinator. Although I help people, I just didn't feel like that was the, the end goal for me. And um, there's a lot of stigma with being a black person in law enforcement. And I wanted to use this role as an opportunity to help kind of answer some of the questions that I had and potentially answer some of the questions that I know my peers have as well. So far, it's been pretty rewarding. I've been a police officer for about a month now. It still doesn't feel real sometimes, but um, so far, so good. Three months on the job, Officer Ray Brown is still adjusting to shift work. Being a cop isn't a nine-to-five job where you can kick back and relax with your friends and family. Officer Ray loves what she does, but the schedule can be punishing. She records herself shortly after finishing her overnight shift. I'm exhausted. I think I've been averaging maybe five hours, six hours of sleep a night and... I definitely can feel the way that the lack of sleep like shows up. It's very challenging at times, um, especially later in the night, to keep that same alertness, keep that same drive. But I'm figuring out a uh, sleeping pattern and what works for me. Uh, I went to work in a very good mood, <laughs> played Pharrell happy. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. 
I really tried to kind of set the tone for how I wanted my shift to go. Being a black officer is difficult. They face huge barriers within law enforcement. They're often accused of having divided loyalties, where they must choose between being black or blue. But why should they choose? In reality, most black officers see their culture and their different life experiences as a positive step toward an inclusive police culture, where communities of colour can identify with and begin to rebuild their trust in policing. Officer Brown responded to a 911 call about a domestic dispute. I think the craziest thing tonight was uh, at a call interacting with a juvenile dispute between a juvenile and mom. And what made it really unique is the topic of race essentially came up uh, for one of the first times. Well, maybe the first time directly it came up. Um, juvenile is biracial, mom is not. And juvenile said that mom uses racial slurs when she yells at the juvenile, um, which is crazy to me. It's so crazy. While talking to the white mom, Ray realized she was expecting white officers to respond to the 911 call. She was not expecting a black woman. And mom kind of pitched the whole like, oh, she didn't want to come and talk to the police. She feels that the police are racist. You know, she said that all of you, all y'all do is kill black people. It's always interesting when you have someone that verbalizes these things and then you walk in as a black female. And it's like, hi, I'm not the white male that you thought was coming here. So what I've been told is there are a hundred, at least a hundred head of cows, uh, or cattle rather, in very poor condition, and we're likely going to seize those today. On an October morning, Deputy Sheriff Michelle Reed responds to a 911 call. About a hundred cattle are abandoned in a field in the eastern part of El Paso County, Colorado, near Colorado Springs. Deputy Sheriff Reed has worked in El Paso County's Sheriff Department for over a decade. She spent six years on patrol before moving to special operations. Reed is also a part of the mounted unit who work on horseback in rural parts of the county. It's why she's out here today with other officers from her unit trying to figure out how to handle the stranded livestock. Because I came down here and checked. Those cows have no hay. They have nothing. I guess he said he came over the weekend and dropped some stuff off. Well, then they ate it. Oh, they'll eat it. Yeah. There's nothing else for them to eat. So... Are these, these are the owners? That's or? the state vet. Michelle joined the police almost in spite of her friends and family saying that she wouldn't be able to stick it out and that someone like her didn't fit the image of an officer. Her career in the mounted unit in rural El Paso County is a stark contrast from where she grew up in Houston, Texas. The closest she got to a horse was at the rodeo. But... Whenever you tell Michelle 
she can't do something, that's when she digs deep and proves you wrong. You wrote any tickets lately, Mr. Burke? Not lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the last time you said, I'm going to write a ticket. But I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we don't do it very often. It's hard not to notice that Michelle is the only black officer in the group wrestling with the cattle. National police data shows that 67% of police officers are white and law enforcement as a whole is mostly men. In Michelle's department, she's one of the handful of officers that's not white. And she's the only black woman in El Paso County's mounted patrol. When I came to the sheriff's office, I didn't know that they had a mounted unit. And I talked to one of the guys that worked in the jail, and he had these cool-looking swords on his uniform. And I was like, hey, man, what are those? And he was like, these are cross sabers for the mounted unit. And I was like, the mounted? I was like, we have a mounted unit? Tell me more. And so he starts telling me all this stuff about the mounted unit. And before I knew it, I had talked to him for like probably a couple of hours. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. She's used to breaking down stereotypes of what a black officer can and can't do. And she's been doing it for years. I have found that doesn't matter what community I go into, white, black, Latino, affluent, a hood, doesn't matter where the place is. People just want you to treat them fairly and they want you to treat them with respect um, and talk to them like they're a human being, just like you, you know? I do know that there are cops who are very condescending toward people and they do levy what I would say a heavy hand is on people, you know, because they, they're like leaning more on their badge. Like, I'm the police and so I can say what I want and I can do it loud and I can be rude and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's kind of like the old adage, you can get more with sugar. You know, it's like, I mean, come on. Like, hey, I appreciate that you treated me like a person. And my thing is, and I got this from some other cop, but I use it all the time and I tell people. I said, I will treat you as nice as you let me. I've literally had people sitting in the back of my car, I'm taking them to jail, and they have motherfucked me up and down the street. And they get in the back of my car, know they're going to jail, they haven't eaten lunch, they haven't had water, they haven't had a cigarette, and they'll be like, hey, hey, Deb, you, you got a, a, a cigarette? I'm like, no, nah, I don't smoke, but, you know, I found these one day and somebody left them, or you can have them. I give it, I'll say, hey, you can smoke. If they're hungry, I've opened up my own lunchbox and shared my lunch. So I treat people as nice as they let me, you know? If you want to be shitty with me, then you don't get any courtesies. I'm not going to treat you bad, but I'm not going to you know, say, oh, hey, how can I help you? You know, I've gone into situations where I have to be a strong presence and I have to, you know, be an officer first. But at no time is it my intention or my practice to go out and make people feel like they're less than. I get a lot of people who don't want to engage with me because I'm a woman or because they've had negative experiences with the cops before. And I tell them, have you met me? Pa 
thought of changing how police culture reacts to situations involving people of colour also means changing how officers perceive black and brown people. And over her 10 years, Deputy Sheriff Reed has put it on herself to do that by slowly altering the perception of black officers with her white colleagues. But she admits, sometimes it's a struggle. Being a law enforcement officer and in a profession that in and of itself invokes anxiety and concern, it's very tense every day, especially now. I have like the double whammy because on top of me being black, I'm a female and you know, in order for me to be equal to my male counterparts, I have to do double the work. If I go to the shooting range that when I shoot and we're practicing shooting our weapons that I can either outshoot or maintain the same accuracy of shooting as my male counterparts, because if I don't, there's going to be something said about how a woman is not capable of being as good as they are because I'm a woman. They also talk about me being a, you know, um, black female. And if something happens that sparks a little, you know, emotion in me, I get the title as angry black woman, you know, so I have to go into work every day with all these things pressed down inside of me in the back of my head. And remember that if I want to be as good as them, I have to remember that if if some of my emotion comes out explosively, that they think that I'm just an angry black woman when that's not really what it is. In December 2020, news was breaking. Our top story tonight, we are learning some new details involving the fatal shooting following a Minneapolis police traffic stop this week. The Minneapolis Police Department shot yet another black man. Seeing the body camera footage that Minneapolis police say shows 23-year-old Dalal Id shooting first before officers shot and killed him is enough information to end the conversation. For some others, more context is still needed. This was the first police shooting since George Floyd's death. But this particular incident isn't happening in a vacuum. Former Hennepin County Chief Public Defender Mary Moriarty says because of low public trust in MPD right now, especially after the May death of George Floyd, people want as much information as possible rather than relying on evaluations from anyone on whether what happened was right. What do you mean when you're saying it was a felony stop? What do you mean he was a felony suspect? What does that mean? That night, before her shift, Rookie Officer Ray took a moment to reflect and she talked about how it feels to be a black officer when these incidents happen. All right, so I'm in my car just running errands before um, work tonight, back on another rotation tonight. Just wanted to take a moment to kind of reflect on the shooting of the Somali gentleman in um, Minneapolis PD. Um, I did watch some of the body cam footage. I don't really watch that stuff. Um, I try not to watch that stuff just because I don't, I mean, I think it makes me numb to death and it makes me, it kind of like makes me detached and I really don't want to be that person. So like, I don't work for Minneapolis PD. I work in a suburb in a completely different county. However, people talk about the things that happen in the cities and they, you know, those same 
behaviors and thoughts and characteristics echo in with the people that I police, right? I think moments like this is just frustrating. You hear, the first hear about the incident and then everyone is screaming justice. You have some people that are like, wait, you know, let's see the police video. Let's see what actually happened. And then you have some people that are blindly like, oh, screw the police. You guys did this. Y'all killed him. And they find fault no matter what. That shooting in particular was extremely frustrating just because of some of the comments that I saw from people that are in my friends list on Facebook. There's people that were like, oh, well, if you're a police officer and you're scared of people shooting at you, then you need to get a new job. Quit being scary. Quit hiring scary cops. It just seems like common sense goes out the window. Rationale. It's, um, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. I have seen more killer cops memes and comments in the last few days than I would like. And then it always puts you in that place like, okay, do I remove these people from my Facebook so that I don't see these things? But then that only surrounds me with people who support or who are pro-law enforcement. And it's really hard. Like, I wish I could find more people who could see it from different sides. I don't support, like, I am not blindly pro anything, right? Like, I don't think that police officers are perfect. I don't think that we never make a mistake. I don't think that we're always right in everything that we do. I 100% don't think that because I've worked with people and I've seen it. But at the same time, I'm not blindly following people who think that everything that a police officer does is wrong and that it should be second-guessed every single time. So I wish that there was, like, somewhere to find, like, a medium that says, could this have probably been done differently? Being both Black and in law enforcement, Ray has found it difficult to navigate conversations at work around Black death. I feel like it's rare to find someone who you can talk about with those things. Like talking to other cops tends to be frustrating because they're more likely pro-cop. It's very rare to find someone who's like, yeah, man, that shit looked bad. Or, you know what I mean? So, or maybe it's rare for me because I'm a new officer. It's November 2020 in Colorado Springs, and the election is right around the corner. Just days before voters go to the polls, law enforcement across the nation are responding to increased volumes of 911 calls about political disputes. Even in remote areas of El Paso County, Deputy Sheriff Michelle Reed cannot escape politics. It's just been very tense. And I (laughs) remember being on patrol one day and looking at our board from my computer. And the board is just a list of calls that are ready for officers to respond to. And there was one and it it was funny, but it wasn't funny. So a neighbor called in on another neighbor accusing the other of stealing their Trump signs. And this person that called in had no evidence, no proof that their neighbor had stole the signs. And the only other comments that were associated with this police call for service was that 
this neighbor who called in was Caucasian and the person that they were having problems with was black. And they just decided that they had issues with their black neighbor because their Trump signs were now missing. And so they assumed that it was the black neighbor. It's funny and not funny. And something else that was really striking to me was that all of this information is being recorded in our computer database. And it now is a record. It's part of history. It's part of our history as the sheriff's office and the things that we were responding to or got called to respond to. And it just seems so stupid. But the, the fact of the matter is sometimes we go out as police officers and we're dealing with what, what I would say uh, just stupid shit. And it's things that people could potentially solve themselves, but they are so self-absorbed and so mighty and high and pious that they don't think that they can go out and talk to their neighbor that lives right next door to them. And it's just so sad to me that we have been driven to this line, which basically boils down to um, race or political views. So um, it's just, it's tough sometimes. It's January 2021, and the nation remains divided. Deputy Sheriff Reed expresses her concerns about how the mood of the country would affect her job. Today is January the 7th, and I did have hope until all of these, I, I'm just going to call them stupid people, idiots, stormed the Capitol as if the election was not valid. It's just, it's so, it's embarrassing. It's disheartening. It's just unbelievable. But what do you do? I'm just a little concerned about what's gonna happen when I go out into the rural areas of Eastern El Paso County, where I've been seeing the Trump flag still waving in everybody's yard, still hanging on the mailboxes, flying on the fences. And I just, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how people are gonna respond to me being out there. So I just have to hope that things are gonna go well. Four months into her new career, Officer Ray Brown already experienced a lot in the line of duty. But there are still firsts for every officer. For Ray, today would be her first time responding to a 911 call of shots fired. It was the first time she felt herself in a position where she may have to use her weapon. And it gave her a new perspective on what it feels like to make decisions when lives, her own, and others are on the line. All right, so I am driving home now. I just got off work. Um, probably sounds like I'm in the car. The audio's not too crazy. 
today was wild. The last few moments of my day were wild. Um, we got a report of uh, shots fired, multiple gunshots. They came out over dispatch that, that through secondhand information, there was a shots fired at the mall by like a transit station. And wow. <laughs> wow is all I can say. Um, I don't think I've ever moved so fast getting to my squad car. I don't think I've ever seen the the look that my partners had, the look that I'm sure I had on what are we about to walk into. It was really just, wow. It was really an adrenaline rush. There's so many emotions that go through your head in that moment. It's so wild. Like, you get the call and your brain immediately goes to a hundred different things in one moment. What's the quickest way to get there? How to get there quickly and safely? Is there one shooter? Are there multiple shooters? Is there, you know, victims? It's a mall. Is an active shooter situation? Am I going to end up in the news today? Am I not going to end up coming home today? Like, it's so... I'm like, I'm still jittery. You, you could probably hear it in my voice. My heart, I can still feel my heart beat kind of racing a little bit. Thankfully, that it was a unfounded. There were people in the area who said they hadn't heard a thing, and we we were able fairly quickly to confirm that an incident had not occurred. But wow, what a way to end your shift. It's very, very telling like it's just an emotional roller coaster is what it feels like an emotional roller coaster ray's stress and emotions around this call shows how any officer might get overwhelmed or lost in the moment when a call comes in and the adrenaline starts pumping. Ray is still wired to respond as a black person first, officer second. And maybe this is the sort of thinking policing needs right now. In this moment, when America grapples with its legacy of racial discrimination and police violence, Ray and Michelle are a force of moderation precisely because they walk on the tightrope between black and blue. Michelle's gift for treating people kindly even after she arrests them and Ray's ability to have both pro-police and anti-police friends might just resolve the crisis or save a life and both see opportunities to change the culture of policing. I don't think that all cops are bad, but I think to say that, oh, we recognize that there's biases and problems in society, but somehow these hundreds of people in this one occupation are free from these biases, like it's foolish to believe that way. And I think sometimes people forget that, especially when you talk about like the Blue Lives Matter movement and oh, we should respect the police. Like, we should respect good people. And I think that that's a reality that, like, people need to kind of understand. Like, if I do something wrong, then I have to be held accountable for that. 
Well, if I was able to change something, it would just be to have more diversity with people who are out actually on the streets. And when I say on the streets, like more officers of color just out and about doing work, the same work that I do. The work that Officer Brown and Deputy Sheriff Reed are doing to challenge stereotypes and show white officers how to relate to diverse communities is important. But these efforts are only chipping away at a system that, so far, has resisted change. Is this enough? In our next episode, we look at policing from the other side. What does it look like if the police are pointing a gun at you? I'm not doing anything. Put your hands back. The way he came up in an officer with his hand on his gun, like the body cam, you can only see one view. You can't see no one's hands, like his hands or his eyes, how he's looking at you or his facial expression. But he came up like he wanted to do something. That's next time on Systemic. Hey, it's Joe. Since you listened to the whole episode, I have a quick favor to ask you. Take a moment to find Systemic from Colorado Public Radio on whatever podcast app you use and give us a like, a rating or a review. If you think the stories we're sharing are important, if you think the voices in Systemic deserve to be heard, all you have to do to help spread the word is like us, rate us, or review us. It helps others find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio.